The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features ensure that you can take on any adventure. What kind of features? Well, how about the available H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud? Or the standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together? How about available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone? We're always trying to think about those great spring and summer getaways, but with a car like the Hyundai Santa Fe, anywhere can be your next adventure. To learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe, go to HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. To the house, This is unbelievable. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Danny Cannell, Chip Patterson, Barton Simmons, and Tom Fernelli. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Barton Simmons. That's Tom Fernelli. Uh, it, it's that time. I mean... We normally would be doing this in, I don't know, July, probably. Uh, And then maybe we would have done it in August as uh, we got set for a little bit of a delayed season. But when you're delayed, 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 when you cancel the season and then all of a sudden you're back on for the season, uh, you know, we've got to run back to the Edgewater Sportsbook and Entertainment Emporium with a new BOGO buffet (laughs) tickets available. And we have Big Ten win totals. Uh, Today, we will be doing the Big Ten West. Tomorrow, we will be doing the Big Ten East. Uh, I I mean, just real quick, breaking news. So, Journey Brown's out. Are we are we going all the way back? Journey Brown likely, excuse me, likely out for the season after an undisclosed uh, medical uh, condition was discovered during the off season. So the, I mean, uh, does that does that change? did you, were we going back in and were we reworking all of our uh, calculations in the spreadsheets and in the odds makers? Because, I mean, James Franklin did tell Barton. Now, Barton, we are happy about our depth at the running back room. You know, he told him that back in the spring. So it's a deep room. I don't know. I'm, I feel like I, I'm sad for Journey Brown. He's explosive. He's awesome. I kind of have the same expectations for NC State. I mean, not NC State, Penn State. Yeah. No, I'm I'm kind of in the same boat. It's he's very good running back, and I hope that whatever it is that he's going to be fine and he's going to be able to come back and play and you know go move on to the NFL. But I always feel like you know with positions where I feel like that are easier to replace than most in the sport of football, I think running backs right at the top of that list of guys you can move on from pretty quickly, no matter how talented they are. Especially you know if you've got a good offensive line and you've got a good offense overall, and I don't think we're going to see that big of a change in Penn state's projection just because journey Brown's not playing as good as journey Brown is. I agree. I I think that said journey Brown that while that room is very deep and talented, I thought journey Brown wasn't as clearly 
a tier above everyone else in that room. I think he provides a level of like big playability that um, maybe Noah Kane, Devin Ford, some of those guys might not quite pop with. And so Penn State's a worse team, but I, I agree. I agree. I mean, they're a worse team because of it, but I do agree that, you know, it's, 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 it's a like probably running back line, but I mean, they already lost one at linebacker, but, um, probably running back was the position they're probably like if they lose, you know, they're wide like Pat Fryermuth, maybe like that might have been a bigger deal. Well, they're pretty mm-hmm. deep tight too. If they lost, if they lost anyone in their wide receiver, like then that's probably a problem because they need all the playmakers they can find there. Running back, they, they got other guys. Big 10 West today, Big 10 East tomorrow. Gentlemen, are you ready to count them up? Let's do it. As much as I think it's the, the under Count is a safe up. play, like I can't even. Count them up. Count them up. How many games are going to win this fall? I can't fathom who wins. How many games are going to win this fall? I just can't. I don't see it. It's not, it's not on there. It's not, not the schedule I'm looking at. Unless there's another schedule somewhere. The win totals today brought to you by the Edgewater Emporium. And entertainment, uh, Edgewood. So close. So Edgewood close. Sportsbook. Edgewater Sportsbook Edgewater. and Entertainment Emporium. And as Barton spoiled, we weren't ready to announce, but we've got a buffet now, too. So, yeah. The Edgewater is the only book with the stones to put these numbers out here. Everyone else scared of COVID. Uh, props to the Edgewater to getting out there and getting this done. We- Sweet. We know we're going to make money no matter what here at the Edgewater Sportsbook and Entertainment Emporium. And plus... What we're about is in the name, entertainment. That's right. That's right. I uh, cannot, cannot wait. Hope that these uh, win totals do end up getting um, aggregated across. This is, this is content. And if you need, mm-hmm. if you need to uh, contact the bookmaker, uh, just reach out to Tom Fernelli on Twitter or on uh, via email. He's got sources inside the sports book yes. that might be able to elaborate and, and are available for, uh, for interviews perhaps. <laughs> All <laughs> right. Contact for inquiry. Yeah, yeah, yes. All right. Let's, uh, let's start it uh, at the, we will start with the, the highest win totals. These are set for the eight games. Now, remember the, there will be the ninth game that will be a championship week. It will be the winner of the East, the winner of the West. And then we will have, you know, East West matchups all the way down the line. We haven't really been promised that it's going to line up, uh, you know, one, one, two, two, three, three, four, four. I think they probably want to leave some flexibility depending on, you know, availability or, yeah. uh, you know, other, uh, impacting factors. But, uh, the, there are two teams at the very, very top of the board. Uh, let's begin with the Wisconsin Badgers, their win total set at five and a half. We've mentioned that Jack Cohn with, after undergoing, uh, he's got a foot injury, I believe he underwent surgery, right? Yes. Yes, and he is out for, uh, we believe, a significant amount of time. That's a lot on Graham Mertz, who's now going into his second year with the program. Now, this is a a group that we expect the defense to lead. When we were doing all of our uh, hurry-up hot seats, we were like, all right, it's just going to be a Wisconsin team. You know, it might be running back by committee instead of Jonathan Taylor, but they're going to lean on their defense. So the the cross division game, we've got uh, an at Michigan on there, and we've also got an Indiana for the Badgers. Wisconsin at five and a half. Barton, how are you attacking this one? I think this is a this is an old school Wisconsin team. I think this 
is a classic Wisconsin team. It's 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 um, you know we've seen Wisconsin start to dabble a little bit in having playmakers on the outside. You know, Quintez Cephas types. Uh, we've seen Wisconsin dabble a little bit in having a a quarterback that you can trust, uh, Jack Cohn. We've seen Wisconsin always with great running backs. Uh, Jonathan Taylor, the most recent example of that, who was fantastic and offered a lot of big play ability there. I think that Wisconsin this year, as I look at their roster, as I look at their, their, their strengths, I think it's going to be a conservative team that plays to the, the, the strength of, of which is absolutely far and away the defense might be the might be a, a, as good a defense as there is in college football. I think it's good, and I think the numbers will bear that out because of the way Wisconsin will play and protect it. We're back to a running back by committee. We're back to a quarterback that we don't know a lot about that we probably don't trust yet. Graham Mertz, former four star talented kid, but we don't really we, we we've got nothing yet that's a, a proof of concept there. And so, I think this team is still probably the best team in the West. I think this team is capable of beating anyone in the West. Let me see. Their schedule, their cross division is Michigan, Indiana. Mm -hmm. All right. So, so they're capable of probably beating every team on their schedule. Um, ultimately though, I did go under the five and a half at five and three. I feel like there is enough vulnerability here. Like enough, like there's not a big enough gap between Wisconsin and everybody else to where, Hey, like, like especially this year where maybe there's a few injuries, maybe there's a few COVID issues. I just think that this is a team you're going to kind of, you know, toss in the hat along with the rest of the, the sort of upper half big 10 West teams and Michigan and Indiana who it plays sort of fit that, that bill. And it just might come out with three wins and might be five and three and still be number one in the division, but or three losses rather. Might be five and three, still be number one in the division. I just I have a hard time going six and two with this team. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm with you. I I spoiler alert for the rest of the episode, but like when we, we had our expert picks that were due this week that we had to put in for you know our big ten predictions like we do normally in the offseason. And my bold prediction for the Big Ten was that there wouldn't be a single team in the West with fewer than three losses because of kind of what Barton was just saying. I think that Wisconsin is the favorite at, to win it. I think Wisconsin could be the best team. I think that it's capable of beating everybody on its schedule. It's just everybody in this division. I don't think there's a very large gap between Wisconsin and the worst team in the division, let alone Wisconsin and Minnesota or Iowa or whoever you consider to be the second best team in the division. And I think that when you put that on top of the situation, we find ourselves in where there are no bye weeks. Everybody's playing one game after another. I think that in a division without an elite team, it's going to be difficult for an elite team to emerge. So when I look at the schedule, you know, that road game at Michigan, that's not going to be easy, even though I don't have the highest of hopes for Michigan this year. A road game at Nebraska, that could be a difficult game early in the year. You know, you get the Minnesota game at home late, but then you have to finish the year on the road against Iowa. And frankly, if I'm playing Iowa this year, I would rather play them now than at the end of the season when maybe they've figured out, you know, their depth chart and all that kind of stuff and what they can do and who does what. So 
I look at it and I think five and three is very much a realistic part of it because I do think that, yes, like Barton was saying, the defense is fantastic, but there are a lot of questions on offense and there's a lot that they have to replace. And that was before the injury at quarterback made them turn to Graham Mertz, who frankly, we don't know about. So it's hard for me, even though he's a highly rated recruit. And I think that a lot of Wisconsin people are high on what he can be. I don't know if they're going to, you know, let him loose and let him, do things I think we're going to see like Barton was saying a conservative approach and I think that when you're conservative on offense and there's a lot of questions your defense is going to help you win a lot of games but it's hard to go undefeated and plus if we just look at Wisconsin the last few years like Paul Christ has been there now for five full seasons and he's done a fantastic job he's won at least 10 games in four of those five seasons but only once in the entire time he's been there has he you know not lost at least two games in conference play so it's not like this is an invulnerable team so when i look at all that stuff and i just look at the situation we're in this year 5 and 3 seems more likely to me than 6 and 2 is this uh okay so barton it sounded like you you would even entertain 8 no right like you you would not be stunned if this defense comes out and they are just, you know, uh, like one of the most dominant te- defenses in the entire country, that is the narrative. You know, it's one of those things where what they're going to end up at. It was like only 9.4 points allowed. They're only running like 52 plays, but it's still right. like, that's like the stat that always ends up popping up because that's, that's a pretty for Wisconsin. That seems like it's one of the most wide variances there where you could see an eight. No, but you could also see this being five and three or four and four. Like, is there, is that, is this one of those teams right there? Yeah. Yeah. And and honestly, it's weird. Like I, I would have a hard time getting to four and four. Like I, it's, it's I feel like, <laughs> like high, high floor. You know, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it, you know, the number is the, the, the edge water is, is, is a good book, you know, and they made a good number here. And I think, it's it is it's very hard. I I I I would be very surprised at four and four. Um, in fact, I might be, I might be more surprised at four and four than eight and zero. Yeah. I just think that five and three is the most likely number of all. Um, and and yeah, I think my like the the point you made with the, I could see eight and zero. Yeah, and and the the better way to phrase it from my end is I. There is not a loss on the schedule where you look at the schedule and you say, "Well, that okay." So other than that game, they're, they should they're, they should be favored. Or they should, like they they look like every game is not only winnable, but like they might very well be favored in all the games. Um, so I don't know. So yes, I think five and three is more trying to thread the needle there than it is sort of uh, ex- expecting a down year. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think if you look at the schedule now, the only time you could say for sure that it's like there's a decent chance they wouldn't be favored would be that road game at Michigan, and even that one. They might be favored. Um, so I'm I'm over, but I, I like I don't disagree strongly. It's a very very good number. Y'all know that uh, in the last year or so, I've gotten a little bit cold and calculated uh, with the way that I run these down. Try to maintain some integrity across the system. So my wins are Illinois at Nebraska, Purdue at Northwestern. My toss no losses. To your point, I don't see a single surefire loss that I'm ready to throw down there, but. Four toss-ups. So four wins, zero losses, four toss-ups. Toss-ups being at Michigan, Minnesota, Indiana, at Iowa. That Wisconsin-Iowa game is always so weird. Like that that rivalry in general, I feel like no matter what the projections were for a team, I would, might make that a toss-up. But I do think that as I was looking at this and trying to decide uh, whether or not I was going to take this to over or under with four solid wins, the fact that they get – 
Indiana, a team which could be dangerous, and Minnesota, a team that I am also very high on. The fact that those two games are in Camp Randall, I think is what pushes me to over and thinking that six and two is likely. But no strong disagreements if you're thinking that five and three is the that side of it. So so to be clear, you've got you've got Illinois as an automatic win, huh? Automatic win. All right, let me write that down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. All right, cool. No, no, you cool, already cool. got your win against Wisconsin. It's yeah, in the books. Our, you check back first, in 10 years later. <laughs> our first win against Wisconsin. Ever. No, Uh-oh. of the Lovey Smith era. Yeah. Second one comes on Friday night. Uh, love it. Can't wait to bet some Big Ten unders on the uh, lock spot on Thursday. Oh, yeah. Count them up. All right, let's go to Minnesota, which, like Wisconsin, also has a five and a half win, five and a half win total set by the sports book. We've got uh, Kirk Sharaka gone. Talked about it a, a lot during the spring, and Mike Sanford. Old mixed results. Mike Sanford coming in as the new <laughs> offensive coordinator, but uh, I do think that you look at uh, the return of Rashad Bateman, Tanner Morgan being there. Man, if he hit. It's there. You got a stacked deck to be able to be successful here offensively. And P.J. Fleck, offensive coach. So uh, we'll see if that ends up becoming a storyline, if the Golden Gophers cannot, uh, you know, be dominant and be successful on offense. Defensively, they are young. They are inexperienced. Inside that uh, coaching staff, they do believe they have talent. Uh, And, you know, I think that, from my opinion, ever since Joe Rossi took over as the defensive coordinator in the shakeup of late 2018, it played pretty well, fourteen and three as a team uh, since they since he was promoted to defensive coordinator late in that twenty eighteen season. Five and a half, uh, Tom. Where are you going here with the golden? Yeah, fraudulent Fernelli. Where are oh, you yeah. going this, with this, the fraudulent ass? Where the rivalry continues. Under, uh, it's again, it's the same thing I, I mentioned with Wisconsin. I don't think any of these teams are getting out of here with fewer than three losses in this division. So if the total's five and a half, I got to go under. And it's Minnesota defense is going to determine what kind of season this is for the Gophers because talent wise, this is probably the most talented offense in the division. When you look at the quarterback and the receiver spot and the offensive line and a couple of the backs that they have at the running back position, there's a ton of talent on this team and there's a high ceiling with the offense. But like, as you mentioned, Chip, the defense is very young and inexperienced. Like if you look at Bill Connolly's preseason production, returning, you know, returning production rankings from, you know, way back in the long, long ago, Minnesota's offense ranked 13th in returning production. Its defense ranks 125th. So there's a lot of new faces that are going to be in important places. And I think if that defense can step up and get, you know, play well and just be good enough, this is a Minnesota team that can go six and two. It can go seven and one. And maybe it could even go eight and no and win the West Division. It's just, it's too big of a variable for me to believe in that confidently that those are the likely outcomes. And when you go through the schedule, I think they get Michigan getting Michigan in the first week of the season, I think is good for Minnesota simply because yeah, because Michigan, we've got a lot of questions about them where they don't have much returning production either. So I think that's a good spot if you've got to play Michigan from the West and then you get a pretty nice other crossover game the very next week at Maryland. I think that's a very winnable game. Illinois on the road, winnable. Iowa at home, winnable. Purdue at home, I think that's a win. Wisconsin on the road, that's a little iffy. Northwestern, winnable. Nebraska on the road, that gets a little iffy. But there's no game on this schedule where I look at and say they can't win. 
But there's also no game on the schedule I look at that say they can't lose because even that Maryland game's on the road and it's a week after playing Michigan and it's the second week of the season when you've had a weird buildup. So I think that this team is really good. I don't think they're fraudulent. I think they're a top 25 team. I think they're a team that could compete for the Big Ten West. And I think that they're a team that could get to the Big Ten championship game. I just don't think any team in the Big Ten West can go six and two more often than it goes five and three this year. Clip it, save it. You know, not just Fernelli comes back with new face in 2020, not fraudulent. Just try, he's just trying to save face for our loyal listeners. For the fourth, now fifth graders. <laughs> what the hell is our boy? It was the fourth grade uh, show and tell, and now I guess he's a fifth grader at this point for the 2020 season. How are they doing show and tell this year, though? Like, are they doing it on Zoom? Like, hey, look. This is my mouse. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's way more dangerous uh, on Zoom because you've got more to be able to like pick yeah. up and it just doesn't stop. When you're at the front of the classroom with your one item, you got to get it done. I think that you just, you lose control of uh, the clock, bad clock management when you're doing show and tell on Zoom. I so thought for, you were going to say it's more dangerous on Zoom because of what happened to that one reporter. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that too. For the, for the uninitiated, for the new listeners, uh, just as a refresher, there is a fifth grader in Minnesota that um, what what is his he he what's the backstory take, here? I was called the Gophers got off to a really good start last year, but they were doing it against a very weak schedule, mm-hmm. and, and they were like tied with South Dakota State in the late in the game. Yeah. They were t- like it was all close wins against teams that weren't good. And my metrics that I used to rank the teams were suggesting that this team is not as good as its record suggests. So I might have called them the fraudulent ass gophers a few times on the podcast. (laughs) And there was a fourth grader in Minnesota who did not take kindly to that. And he started referring to me to his classmates during show and tell as fraudulent Fernelli. And running around the house during Minnesota wins, chanting fraudulent for <laughs> That's right. That yeah. was the kicker. Yeah. yeah. He's, he's, he's a listener who gets to, I guess, I guess without the, um, it, depending on whether or not they're doing in-person classes, because wasn't it, they were listening on the way to school. That was the yes. time when they would take it in. So, uh, you know, it's, it's, I, I hope you get to listen to this one. I don't know when, whether it's like listening sessions during your lunch break or what, but you just heard Tom Fernelli say that Minnesota's not fraudulent. He did take yeah, the under he, there. While taking the while under. Taking the under. While taking I mean, the I think he was just just playing, just stooping to the to the fifth grader, cowering in fear. Please what don't beat me up. <laughs> Please don't call me fraudulent. All right. So I am I, I this is a similar case as Wisconsin. I think that I think Minnesota looks five and three to me. Um I think that they've and in some ways I might even like I might even see them as a more likely candidate to get to the over because of that offense. Um, I do think Kirk Shiraka's departure is not irrelevant. Mm-hmm. I think that's something. Sorry, I'm chewing my gum. I think that Kirk Shiraka's departure is not irrelevant. I think that that's something that um, you know, we gotta we gotta get answered. You're like, is how how seamless is this transition to the offensive coordinator spot gonna be? Um, I, you know, but I expect the offense to be really good. And I and, and PJ Fleck is, you know, what like he's proven a lot in a short period of time. And and the thing about their defense, while I, they are replacing a lot, 
their secondary is is really good. I think. I mean, they they return starters across the board, um, and well, at least in several spots. I think B- Benjamin St. Juice is really good. I think Tyler Newbing stepping in is really good. Like, I think that that's a group, and particularly when we're valuing receivers on offense and secondary on defense, like that's a group that gives me some some confidence in Minnesota this year. Perhaps being able to uh, surprise us all again. But I, uh, it just goes back to the Minnesota deal. I think these teams are all a little bit too close for me to confidently go over the highest numbers on the board, regardless of who you assign them to. Uh, I think that's kind of where I'm at. And so I'll, I'll take the under here for Minnesota as well. Oh, let's go over. I've got, I, there's one team that I think I've already found that is skewing. We've got, we're, we're, we're standing you on got some uh, losses out there. Yeah. Well, I, I, Chip's I got somebody going Oh, and eight over here. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, I've, I've, I think that, uh, I, I think that we're off on, on how we view Nebraska and we'll get to Nebraska in a little bit, but that's, I think we're just in different places on the corn Huskers. And that's, uh, that's definitely throwing a, a rink, a wrinkle into how we view the schedule because I, I think that there are six wins and two toss ups and zero losses. I'm, I feel really good about the general trajectory of like um, lose big, lose small, win small, win big. And I kind of feel like there was a, a little bit of a shift during October of 2019 and they came up short. Ultimately, Minnesota came up short. It was, what was it? Pouring down snow and they couldn't get the last win they needed to be able to reach the big 10 championship game. I, I think that Minnesota is the big 10 West champs. And so uh, I, I feel a little bit more confident in them in some of those uh, tight games. You know, you look at the, uh, You know, like Iowa, that's going to be at home. Purdue, that's going to be at home. At Wisconsin, it's going to be really tough and likely decide the division. But I I just, I got Minnesota going over, and uh, I feel, and yeah, I think they're the Big Ten West champs. I will admit that if they, if that offense, like I said in the intro, if that offense takes a significant step back, that is wildly disappointing. And if I am a Minnesota fan of any age, then I would be very upset that uh, that Mike Sanford was not able to maintain some of that same, some of those same like, you know, what a, they, they call like Kirk Sharaka an RPO guru. You know, like he just does a great job of stressing defenses. And Tanner Morgan looked awesome in that offense. So, man, you got Rashad Bateman, you got Tanner Morgan, you got a good offensive line. Offense, Talented. yeah, offense seriously, offense clearly matters in a very big way here in this uh, COVID season. I'm, I will, uh, I will be going over for the Golden Gophers. I don't hate, I, I do not hate the idea of Minnesota as yeah. a pick to win the Big Ten West. Not, not at all. How many games are going to win this fall? The Iowa Hawkeyes, four and a half is the win total we've got right here. Uh, Spencer Petrus is our starting quarterback, we believe. Maybe. Yes. yes. Yeah, yeah, we're feeling good about Spencer Petrus. Uh, Tyler Goodson at running back is exciting. Uh, Amir Smith-Marset at the wide receiver position. You are losing uh, some some pretty important pieces on that offensive line uh, as they look to try and maintain that Iowa standard of uh, being really good at the line of scrimmage. The, the, the schedule sets up where they've got Michigan State and Michigan State at home, Penn State on the road are the cross-division games. Uh, Barton, which way are you going with the Hawkeyes? This one was a – this one – there are two two teams. This is Iowa and one and one more 
that to me were the toughest to peg, um, least least conviction in in sort of what they were going to be. Iowa is really fascinating to me. So they lose this quarterback that's been what three year starter, NFL draft pick, s- sort of stalwart like. But but at what point in in the Nate Stanley experience did we ever sort of think, well that that's a franchise guy like who's just putting him on his back? I mean, the he damn was, bowl game when he was lighting up USC <laughs> and the season's done. So the 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 idea that he's gone and Spencer Petrus is is stepping in that could mean anything. It really it doesn't. I, it, that it's it's just an unknown to me. It's just like an unknown variable. Okay, so you got that. Then there's the idea. Well, I just I just mentioned it with with Minnesota in terms of their secondary. Okay, so where are areas where I feel are most important in assessing a team coming into the season? To me, every every game, every year is becoming more and more important. The wide receiver position. Well, typically that's not a spot that you're really like trumpeting Iowa about. And yet this might be the best group of wide receivers Iowa's had in a long, long time. Now, I don't want to put a date on it, but I, I don't know. I mean, this is a really like top-end wide receiver group. Brandon Smith, Amir Smith-Marset, even the, the tight end Sam Laporta is a guy that I think that they're very excited about that's, that's coming on and came on late last year. So you've got that. You've got Tyler Goodson at running back, who is one of the, I think, top running backs that Iowa's had in a while, you know, a guy that that's really talented and, and yet, and so then they've got, all right. So yeah, they lose Tristan worse at, at offensive tackle. Well, you know, Tyler Linderbaum was emerging as like one of the best centers in the country as a, as a redshirt freshman last year at center. Um, they still have a Larry Jackson back at the other offensive tackle spot. They've still got talent. And yet the offensive line really wasn't that much of a strength last year. If like you really dig into things. And so what do we make of that? And so then I come back to this idea that, all right, well, as I assess the strengths of this program, like, or at least of the offense, it's the wide receiver position, the skill talent. Well, Iowa isn't even a program that maximizes those sort of players at a, at a, like in any like effective way. They, they almost minimize guys based on the scheme and, and just sort of their, their mentality offensively. And so, and and then like there's this whole other very I haven't even talked about defense and there I, I think their defense will just be what it typically is bend but don't break really good discipline like they got enough guys coming back to where I think that their defense will be good but then there's this whole idea about how much is this offseason turmoil going to affect the team is it going to have a significant impact where they don't have the same discipline with Chris Doyle not in the weight room where there's been factions forming in the locker room or Maybe this team plays looser than they ever have. Maybe this team feels more united than it ever has. I mean, that's a lot of that's a lot of like questions and not answers coming from me. I understand. I think because of that, I went under. I went four and four with this team, but it's it's similar to Wisconsin where it feels like four. Like I don't I don't think this the bottom falls out and they go three and five. I think four and four is more the sweet spot for me, um, and certainly above the over is is well within the realm of possibility. But like. Hey, feel free to sort me out, guys, and, and like lead me because th- this is the this is the team in the Big Ten, probably across the whole conference, that I'm a little bit unsure on. Yeah, they're a wild card. 
It's it's hard. There's, I feel like I don't think three and five is out of the picture. Honestly, I, I think three and five to six and two are all very realistic possibilities for this team. And you know, Chip, you mentioned like the changes on the offensive line. Barton touched on it. I don't think that's a bad thing because this this offensive line last year, outside of Werfs, really wasn't all that good. It ranked seventy uh, third nationally in line yards. It wasn't great, particularly anything. They couldn't really get much of a run game going. Like even with the talent that they had at the running back position, they were still getting like four and a half yards per clip, no matter who they were handing the ball off to. There wasn't a whole lot of, you know, big explosive plays in the run game for them last year. And I think that kind of limited them. And I look at it this situation. So I think that the offensive line can improve. It's just there are still other question marks. And I look at this Iowa team as a solid team. It's just I don't know who the quote unquote guy is that is going to lead them past teams like Minnesota and Wisconsin. I think Iowa's very capable of finishing in third place in the division. But I also think Iowa's very capable of going four and four and three and five. So when I look at this team, I have to go under. And then another couple of things like you touched on too, Barton, like I understand why Chris Doyle was fired, but that doesn't change how important he's been to this program under yeah. Kirk Ferentz and what he was able to do with developing these players. And that's going to be interesting to see if they could keep that special sauce going without him there in charge of that strength and conditioning program and how that might have impacted them this offseason, especially in a crazy offseason, because it's one of those things it's like, we think of missing spring practices and we think of missing all that kind of stuff. But when you look at how workouts and all that kind of those things were disrupted while trying to have to work in a new strength and conditioning coach for like the first time in 20 years, the program might've been a little, you know, the, 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 the strength program might've been a little, you know, just disjointed this off season. And I don't know what kind of impact that's going to have on the team going into the season. So there are so many variables surrounding this team, but at the end of the day, I feel like Iowa's Iowa, so it's going to be solid. It's not going to be bad. It might be pretty good. So I'm going, I, I look through the schedule. I've got them pegged at four and four, most likely. I think that if you look at the cross division games, getting Penn State on the road is a real bear. That's a tough one. But I do think you make up for it a little bit by getting Michigan State at home. And then in the division, they've got Minnesota on the road. They have Illinois on the road the week before they finish the season against Wisconsin. And I think that Nebraska, going going from Minnesota on the road to Penn State on the road and then home games against Nebraska and Illinois, those Nebraska and Illinois games suddenly get a lot more complicated and a lot more difficult following the Penn State-Minnesota games with Wisconsin looming right behind them. So I think that four losses are very much a real possibility here. So I'm going under. Since 2010, Iowa has lost three or more conference games every year, but one. They just like you look at the pieces and you that if you want to come to me and you want to make a underachiever argument, I I would listen to it. It's not the argument that I'm ready to like sit out here and make because the Iowa football culture, capital C, you know, whatever that is like the, there's something, you know, inherent about the just, I don't know, the experience of being an Iowa football fan that seems so much deeper than really I've, I've found as I've learned more about the program, I realize how more distant I am from that Iowa football experience. But if you look at the, if they reset to what they're going to be, they're they're going to drop a couple games here. And uh, you mentioned some of those dangerous spots on the schedule. I'm also going under and the 
the one, what Michigan State is going to be. Like, if I was the wild card here in the Big Ten West, Michigan State is the wild card on the wild card schedule, especially as we're trying to decide about which way it's going to go on the win total. Because, I mean, if, if Mel Tucker messes around and, and has a, a pretty decent football team and, and they win that game, then we are talking about probably uh four and four or maybe even a three and five type season for Iowa. If Michigan State ends up needing uh, more time and the pandemic Im- impacted off season and the start and stop start ends up making the Spartans just kind of a, a year zero situation, which it probably is already. Then maybe I- Iowa ends up winning this ends up going five and three, but I think six and two is out of the question uh, the way that I break down the schedule at least. So I will be going under as well. All I know is I'm already ready to take the under in the Iowa Michigan state game. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever the line's at. I'm right on now. the under. Count them up. The Nebraska Cornhuskers win total here set at three and a half. I mean, yeah. So this week, a little bit, a little bit of news. I mean, yeah, Scott Frost is is committed to Adrian Martinez as his starter. You know, we've seen him thrown into the fire. We've seen him off season Heisman top five on the odds board, and then all of a sudden, you know, that Ohio State game happened, and and things sort of slipped from there. But you know, Wandale Robinson, like. Uh, a name that was mentioned on this podcast before it was mentioned anywhere else. You know, he did show up as a, a nice explosive playmaker, but JD Spielman leaves for this offense and the defense just really has been, uh, it's left a lot to be desired uh, for, for most of the short Scott Frost era. So far, we do have Matt Lubick straight from the canvas credit union, ready, <laughs> ready to come in here <laughs> and look, 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 all right. We made a lot of very funny jokes about our Excel spreadsheet offensive coordinator, but I dug into it a little bit more. The real job that he was doing was actually as a like partnership development with Colorado State because he played at Colorado State and Canvas Credit Union was trying to develop a relationship. So I'm listen, I'm I'm never going to hate on somebody glad-handed and doing a little like a uh, little bit of partnership business partnership community relations type uh, type job right there. So he was just honing his recruiting skills. Exactly. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He wasn't he wasn't as much in the office breaking down he spreadsheets. Wasn't the, he wasn't in the cubicle crunching numbers. <laughs> right. So Matt Lubick <laughs> arrives. Showing range from the range. Yeah, yeah, there exactly. we go. Uh, from the Canvas Credit Union, Matt Lubick comes in as the new offensive coordinator. Uh, like we said, over under at three and a half. Barton, uh, you look at the schedule, I I don't see any surefire wins. What do you, how how are you calling uh, this yeah. one? Well, I mean, this one's this is a little bit like um, tough love on a on a on a on a child that's been acting up, you know. Like Scott Frost, as soon as he was hired over there, like that was I was I, I was pounding the table, like that was a great hire. He was top ten in my coach rankings, I think, in that first year. UCF, um, he just hadn't hadn't clicked quite as quickly as I anticipated that it would. And look, I, 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 no one is, um, is, is hoping to be pleasantly surprised more than, than I, but I, at this point I got to go under here. I think three, five is the, is the record that I'm expecting. Um, I think the offense might in fact start to click this year. I think the offense could be pretty, pretty high scoring, but the, those two cross division games, that the big 10 just spanked them with it, 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 that's a that's a that's two pretty big 
L's that just showed up on your schedule. Um, and so when you throw those on there, and then when you look at the defense and when you look at – like I, I'm just not super confident that the the improvement is going to have shown up defensively. Um, and I, I, that, that so with that said, like there's just teams that you trust more than Nebraska – and uh, I, I just don't know how you can go above three, three and a half right now, other than just with some blind faith. I will say yeah. this, though. I will say this. My, this is my one optimistic point here. I think the fact that Nebraska wanted to play football so badly this year could tell you a little bit of something about the culture in the locker room that might have taken hold. I don't know that, but like the first couple, you remember like first year or so, like Scott Frass was like, oh, I don't know. We got to figure out, you know, we got to. Who wants to be uh, here? Type yeah, stuff. made a lot of insinuations yeah. about sort of the, the nature of the locker room. And I don't know how much of that was just Scott Frost wanting to play, but there were some times when players were trotted out there and players were pleading to play and like they seem like they really are, are invested in this season. And so perhaps that could be the, um, you know, an indicator that could tell us that there that that maybe there's something there under the surface. And they are 17th in the country in returning production in the Bill Conley stuff. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Second on offense in returning production. Yeah, I'm, I'm this is the problem. I'm not buying the uh, the players wanted to play because I'm pretty sure the players at every school wanted to play. I think that the difference for Nebraska was that their leadership was far more vocal about the fact that they didn't agree with the rest of the conference. It wasn't so much the players wanted to play because I mean. Purdue wants to play. Illinois wants to play. Iowa wants to play. Maryland wants to play. India, all, they all want to play. But I, Syracuse might not. <laughs> Syracuse, maybe not. Yeah. But it's, yeah, they got the, the leadership spoke up, spoke out. And yeah, they're getting punished for it because this schedule is a bear. You know, you open with Ohio State in the battle of the two teams that saved Big Ten football alongside Danny Cannell. And then you get Wisconsin the very next week. And then you get Northwestern before you get that Penn State game. And that Northwestern game was already going to be kind of difficult as it was. But now that you sandwich it in between those three games, it takes on a whole different level. I mean, we're looking at a Nebraska team that could be 0-4 after the first month of the season. So now for them to get to the over, it's like they've got to win out. And that last four games still includes games against Illinois, Iowa, Purdue, and Minnesota. So I look at this team and I think that this was supposed to be the year where you you mentioned the returning production, Barton. They're second in the nation in returning production on offense. This was supposed to be the year where we finally kind of started to see that Scott Frost offense get going. But then they get handed this schedule and it's like, I I don't know if we're going to see it. And I don't know if it's going to matter playing these teams, particularly with that defense. And then plus Chip, like you talk about, you know, like losing close and then winning small and that kind of stuff. If we look at Nebraska through the first two years of the Scott Frost era, when it comes to playing the better teams in the conference, there was that loss at Ohio State, 36 to 31 in the first year on the road that was like, hey, okay, all right. That's the Adrian Martinez. He's a freshman. This this might be working out. Scott Frost might have things heading in the other direction. But if you look at every other game where they've played like a ranked team or one of the Big Ten's best teams, they lost 56 to 10 to Michigan. Last year, their losses, they had the 48 to 7 loss to Ohio State. They lost to Minnesota 34 to 7. They lost to Wisconsin by only 16. That was their closest loss amongst better competition. So I don't know. That's a significant gap. That's what that tells me. There's a large gap between Nebraska and where Nebraska wants to be or where Nebraska sees itself. 
And I don't know if this is the offseason that allowed them to close that gap. And I don't know if this is the schedule that's going to allow them to close it any further. So when I look up and down their schedule, it's like, all right, let's find four wins. I think Illinois is winnable. I think Purdue on the road is winnable, but I don't think it's a guarantee. I think it's mostly a coin flip. I think Iowa on the road is a coin flip at best. I think Northwestern on the road is a coin flip at best. I think Ohio State on the road, that's a loss. Penn State at home, that's a loss. Minnesota at home, 60-40 maybe? Maybe? (laughs) Yeah. Like, I don't know because your offense is really good, but their offense is really good too, and your defense kind of stinks. But still, I think that's not a horrible matchup for you. It's just I think three and five is far more likely than four and four, and it's a lot more likely than five and three. So I am on the under. I mean, all the way across. Okay. I I thought that based on the way we were talking about these teams at the top, that y'all are going to be sitting here on a, on a more bullish Nebraska position, but I misread that. Um, and it, it was pretty easy because if I go Ohio State, Wisconsin, Penn State, Minnesota, if I think all of those are losses, do you think that Nebraska is in a position to win all of the rest of its games? No. They're just not, they're not there yet. I think that this is an under. And look, I think three and five could be a good season. Three and five could be a year where depending how some of those losses go and and making sure that you do take care of business and, and you beat, you know, Northwestern Illinois and Purdue, then you're coming out of the season like, all right, okay, you know, this is a you know, this was a, a some a positive year for Scott Frost, but I am also on the under. Coming up on the other side, we turn our attention to Evanston to see how things are going on Lake Michigan. Next. The perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at newbalance.com. Confidence is so important. When you're making your picks, when you're choosing winners, when you want to look good, confidence is, it's, it's essential, you know, it's, it's how you're able uh, to go about your day and accomplish all the goals that you need. And I know that, you know, feeling really confident is easier when you've got some good clothes, like the new look that you've got from Express. And I think the big thing that comes here is that you've got all day comfort. It might feel like your favorite sweats with the extra stretch, but it's a flattering fit. You don't look like a slob out there. You know, it just makes your life easier to have one outfit or a few different pieces that can work from, you know, the most casual setting uh, or, you know, the most fancy work event. And so that is why we want you to be able to share in this kind of comfort, share in this kind of versatility uh, with Express. And the way that you can get $25 off your $50 purchase is to text COVER to 397737. Once again, that's text COVER, C-O-V-E-R to 397737 to receive $25 off your $50 purchase. We're talking wrinkle resistant fabric. It's great for traveling. And of course, as we mentioned, all day comfort, make sure that you can go about your day with confidence, with versatility in the most comfortable way possible. Do it with express and get $25 off your $50 purchase by texting cover to 397-737. Northwestern, uh, the, uh, Hunter S Johnson experiment did not work. (laughs) 
the the whole offense was in a, in a bad position. So we've got a new play caller, and we've got a, a new quarterback with Indiana transfer, Peyton Ramsey. Uh, defensively, Joe Gaziano's gone. You know, we miss our we our great Northwestern icon, but Patty Fisher is still in the league. So we at least have that going for us. The win total here is set at three and a half. Tom, uh, which way are you going on Northwestern? Well, I mean, the offense can't be worse than it was last year. Worse than the FPS. That's what I'm saying. So there's nowhere to go but up offensively for this Northwestern team. But I do think that the change in offensive coordinator was a long time coming. And I think many Northwestern fans will tell you it was a longer time coming in their minds. But we've talked about returning production rankings Northwestern is number one in the country as far as the returning production. A lot of that is on offense. So I do think that the, the floor for this team is raised significantly just because I do think that they're going to be able to score more points. I don't think this is an explosive offense. I don't think Pat Fitzgerald ever wants to have an explosive offense. Most of the way that they usually handle things, they're trying to win with defense. But I do think they're in a much better position. And I think that with the transfers coming in and with a lot of key players back on defense, although they did recently find out this week they lost a couple key guys on defense who have opted out for the season. But I think we're finding that out. I think Northwestern's known it for a while. But if you look at their schedule, there's – there's room for growth here. You open with Maryland. I think that is a winnable game for Northwestern. I think Iowa on the road is somewhat of a coin flip. Nebraska at home, we talked about with the Nebraska thing. I think that's a coin flip for Northwestern. Purdue's a coin flip. Wisconsin, probably not winning. At Michigan State, coin flip. Minnesota, probably not winning. Illinois, probably 60-40 Northwestern's direction, honestly. So I think that this is a team, like if the win, the win projection is what, three and a half? Mm-hmm. This is a Northwestern team that I see going four and four this year. I don't think that is completely out of line. And as I mentioned, you know, I've talked about like I've gone, I think I've been all under so far, but in the division, I think that this is a division where from top to bottom, the gap between the best and the worst really isn't that significant. All the top teams are under and all the bottom teams are over. Spoiler alert. Yeah, and I think that Northwestern is one of those teams that's going to bounce back from a down year and see an increase in performance simply because, if nothing else, Peyton Ramsey at quarterback has to be an upgrade over whatever you wanted to call that position that they had last year. I don't really want to call it quarterbacking because it didn't look like it to me. So I think that this is a team that is poised for a bounce back because I also just have a hard time thinking that Pat Fitzgerald teams are going to be bad for that many consecutive years in a row because I think he's just too good of a coach for that program and he knows what he's doing there too well. So I think we're going to see a bounce back for the Wildcats this year. I'm going over four and four. Four and four for this Northwestern team. You are crazy. This team is five and three at minimum. (laughs) Yes! Yes! All right. This is my squad right here. This is this is where you uh, thought we were going with Nebraska. This is so, yeah. This has been I mean I've been talking about this Northwestern team since the spring when we tried to identify a team with returning continuity with good culture in place with leadership all those sort of things. Now the 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 problem with the Northwestern prediction as being, you know, uh, a, a really good year was the idea that, well, they do have a new coordinator. They do have a new quarterback on offense. I think we've seen enough proof of concept early in the year across college football to where new offensive coordinators, whether it's Arkansas, whether it's 
Boston College, new transfer quarterbacks, same places. Um, you know, there, there's a lot of examples of this, this, these offenses being, you know, like adapting and 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 um, being implemented pretty seamlessly. I think they hired a really good offensive coordinator. I think Peyton Ramsey is a really good, or just a a very big 10 worthy quarterback. He's an Iowa ish quarterback. Like yeah. he's the kind of guy that you would think at Iowa is he's going to be solid. He's, he's, he's their Nate Stanley. So they've, they return their number one in the country and mm-hmm. returning production, according to Bill Conley. Now I, I actually didn't realize that some of those guys had opted out. So they, they're, they're losing a starting offensive or defense lineman, Sam Miller, uh, starting safety and Travis Willick. Um, and and a you know, backup tight end, a backup quarterback, but the I, I don't think that really changes things too much for me because again, <clears throat> there is sort of a if you bet an over with a Northwestern type of team, not a type of team, just with Northwestern period, you you have to sort of stomach the idea that you're not gonna roll through the schedule. Northwestern ain't gonna be sitting here at like six and zero with twenty four point margin of victories. Yep. Like you're gonna have to grind this thing out, and every game is gonna come down to the wire. And Northwestern has to win those. And so they, you know, like, sure, they could lose a couple more, and they could slip below that that three and a half number, I guess. But I think that would have to that that would take a lot of games going really wrong. I think that more likely than not, this is a team that ekes out those close wins in the same way they have in the years when they do cycle up to, to 10 wins under Pat Fitzgerald. So give me the over. This is my favorite play in the big 10 in the big 10 West. I haven't looked at these yet. The record shall show that Barton Simmons said five and three at minimum, minimum book it under under three and five. <laughs> Listen, there's that I got too much excitement about Purdue and Illinois to uh to hand this hand a four and four record to Northwestern. I agree that it is gonna be some and like Northwestern might put a scare in both like Wisconsin and Minnesota, especially Wisconsin that's not gonna have a super prolific offense. They could win that game, but uh nah. Give me under three and five. I I do like the line of thinking that it was like, who's who around the country is staying dialed in and mentally focused when it comes to their conditioning Northwestern they have, but no, I'm going to be going under count them up two and a half. It's the win total set for Purdue, the Boilermakers, huge, huge news with Rondell Moore coming back. One of the best uh, individual talents in all of college football with Rondell Moore and, and David Bell. We talk about positions that we value. That's one. That's a great wide receiver duo that you've got right there to be able to help power that offense. Defensively, uh, I think that we saw a real breakout from George Karloftis, and I do think he's going to be one of the best defensive ends in the Big Ten. Uh, two and a half. Barton, are you, how are you feeling about the Boilermakers as we go into uh, this this season? This was the when I mentioned what well, was like the team that was along with one other team that was really tough for me to peg. This was the other team. Um, I think it's it, what's the hard part is this is this is the team where it's like you know when you look at the Big Twelve or something and you and you have 
Kansas State number nine in the preseason, as I did. You're like, well, I don't, I don't dislike this team. I think they're probably pretty good. I just this ha- this order has to shake out some way, um, and so I can't exactly figure out what to do with Purdue. I mean, they are. I look, I, I look at their rock like these names are just like hitting me in the face of like Rondell Moore and David Bell and George Karloftis and Lorenzo Neal. You know, Corey Trice is an up and comer in the secondary for them. And like, there's just, there are good players, like not just good players for Purdue, good players that are among the best players in college football. And, and yet I, I don't know why. And, and, and here they have an, a, a coach that is, widely considered one of the rising stars in the game on the coaching side of things. And, and yet for whatever reason, it's hard for me to visualize all the wins for Purdue. Uh, Oh, well, offensive line still going to have some issues. I think quarterback play still doesn't, I think that might be the difference for me is maybe if quarterback was a, a position that you really had a lot of confidence in, then this maybe this is like a, a team that's con- contending at the top of the, the division. Um, Jeff Brom has COVID right now. Like right? he's going to miss a game or two, I guess. Like, I don't know that that's probably more significant than most. He calls the plays as I, I believe. Uh, so that's a lot of negatives and I'm going over um, be- just because it's, it's a low number kind of to Tom's theory. Like it's the, you know, bottom of the, the yeah, like it's just, it's too close too close from top to bottom to, 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 to think this team can't get to three and five because you know what? Five and three probably is not out of the realm of possibility either. So um, I don't know what to make of this team, but I went ahead and, and, and took the over on this one, just sort of betting on the parody in the league. Big 10 West is like, we don't have the ACC coastal this year. And so we're really counting on the big 10 West to give us everybody tied at four and four. I, uh, we all know who Purdue Pete is. Uh-huh. I'm the, I'm the Purdue Paisan because Purdue is to me what Northwestern is to Barton this year. I think four and four at a minimum. I, I just, there's too much talent on this team. And especially with Rondale Moore coming back, it's like we talk about the most, like I, Minnesota has the most talented offense in the big 10, in the big 10 West. Purdue might have the second most talented offense in the Big Ten West. And Purdue on defense has game changers like George Karloftis. It might have one of the most talented defenses in the Big Ten West. So when I look at this team and I look at the schedule, and the, you're right. The Jeff Brom thing does kind of throw a wrench in the gears here because I don't know how that's going to affect them early in the season if he's missing one game or two games. I think that if he just misses the opener, he can at least put a game plan together that they could follow going in, and maybe it won't be that big of a deal against Iowa. But they get a break in that. Rutgers. Two, yeah, they get Rutgers from the east. Yeah. And they get Indiana, which, you know, that's a tough game. It's always a tough game for them because that's a huge rivalry for them. But still, there are a lot worse games you could draw from the East than Rutgers and Indiana. And then you look at the Big Ten West, and it's like they get their two toughest games in the division are both on the road. The two games against Wisconsin and Minnesota that they weren't likely to win anyway, you kind of just, all right, they're on the road. At home, the games that are more winnable for them, they get in West Lafayette, Iowa, Northwestern, Nebraska. Those are winnable games. The other road game against Illinois, that's a winnable game for Purdue. Purdue's done really well against Illinois the last couple of years. So I look at this team, I see four and four. 
I see a team that could be the surprise of the division. Like I, they could finish anywhere from sixth place to third, or maybe even second the way that, you know, my simulations go for this team. So yeah, I'm, I'm the Purdue Paisan go Boilermakers. Yeah. All, all in lockstep here. I, I just, you've got Rutgers and look like this could be what the Arkansas theory where it's going to bite me in the ass once the season starts. And Greg Schiano has the Scarlet Knights as the surprise of the season, but can Purdue go get, Two division wins? Hell yeah, especially with the way the schedule breaks down. So um, I'm over, and yeah, I, I think that it could be all the way to four and four as well. How many games are going to win this fall? And finally, the Illinois Fighting Illini, who also get Rutgers. <laughs> Two and a half is the number right there. Tom, can, will they take care of business with Rutgers at home? And can... The Fighting Illini and the, uh, I, I was trying to come up with a good name. Like, I want to call them like an expansion team, you know, just like they're just built on transfers. And so it's a little bit of like they had an, they've had an expansion draft over the last couple of years. I mean, it's just, it's like some Charlotte Bobcats vibes to it. Maybe it's with the orange out there. So I don't know who your Gerald Wallace is. Maybe it is Brandon Peters as he continues to uh, t- try and take steps forward. But do you think they can take care of business against Rutgers? And if so, do you think they can get two more wins out of division play? If if it's okay with you two, I would prefer to go last here. Sure. Yeah, you can be the authority here. All right, I'll, I'll kick us off. So... All right, so so we got two and a half as the win total. I think we're just programmed to thinking that Illinois is pulling up the rear in the conference. Um, but once again, I'll, I'll cite Bill Conley's returning production, 12th in the country in that spot. Um, the quarterback returns. Offensive coordinator is the same. Defensive coordinator, Lovey Smith, is the same. Uh, they've got a, a nice new shiny addition amongst others at tight end and Luke Ford, the former um, Georgia uh, signee. That was a top 100 guy. Marquez Beeson, who was like absolutely just getting rave reviews in camp last year before getting injured before the season, missed the year. Now he's a redshirt freshman and he'll be a Bayser upgrade defensively. Returned nine starters on offense, you know, five on defense. I, this team is going to fight like it's got Rutgers as a win. Mm-hmm. There's, I think there's at least two more somewhere. I don't know. I, I'm not naming what they are. That's sort of the nature of this conference this year, but I think there's at least two more wins in there. And, and so we're at the point now, I think where, and I don't know, I don't know what the, perception is of Lovey Smith. Is he a good coach? Is he not? Is he an NFL coach? Is he a college coach? But this is a season where you can, you can remove all the noise and you can just let him be whatever coach he is. Like, is he, if he's a good coach, he should be a good coach this year. He is the, he has plenty of time to build up this roster. As many of these transfers as they brought in, there are still plenty of these guys that are playing right now that are homegrown as well. Um, I I would anticipate that this team is like this is one of these teams that I want to say is like going to be just damn near good. Uh, it's just the hard part in like slotting them in the Big Ten West is just deciding who they're better than because everyone has a you know a, a case to make for being good. So with a low number here, I feel I feel plenty comfortable 
saying over and saying three and five is the is the minimum here. The I think three and five is the max. I I totaled really? it, yeah I totaled it up at a, a push officially with the the swing game really being can you win at Nebraska? Can Illinois? go to Lincoln and beat that Nebraska team. I'm obviously down on that Nebraska team, comfortably taking the under at three and a half. But I mean, having Minnesota, Ohio State and Iowa as home games is a tough draw because in the in the classic, like you'd like to have some of those toss up winnable games at home that that stinks. So I've got I think they're, I think they're all fairly toss up and, and I'll, I'll rephrase it this way. I think that yes, I, I pro- three wins is probably not the minimum. Two wins is probably the minimum. Hell, one win could be the minimum. I'm not. I'm not saying they can't go that that low. But I also. I, I guess what I what I meant to say is I don't think three wins is the max. I think there is a scenario where they could beat some of those teams where they they could continue to rise up and and creep up to four wins or 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 hell I don't know maybe more. Like I, I just think that there's not there is that sort of aspirational elements of this team that, that maybe I don't think we could talk ourselves into in the past, but I am. So I'm on the fence officially on my scientific method. And so I, that Nebraska game is really tough. I don't know. I'm kind of down on Nebraska and I'm jumping on the other side of the nerds and I'm jumping on the Charlotte Bobcats. I'm taking Illinois over Northwestern in Evanston. That gets me to three and five. Let's go push to over. So, so you're both over Mm -hmm. and you're both right because this team is unity. Yeah, it's we're we're going over. Yeah, this is this is a good team. It's not a great team, and it's not a team that is going to compete for the division. But it is so much better than like the pr- predictions for it. This is a team that went you know won six games last year. It went to a bowl. It beat a top five Wisconsin team, and the schedule this year is difficult. But. If you have to play Wisconsin on the road this year, I would much rather do that to open the season on a Friday night against a Wisconsin team that has a lot to replace and has a new quarterback starting in a game they weren't anticipating him to start until a couple weeks ago. Plus, it's not just that Illinois beat Wisconsin last year. It's that the offenses that Lovey Smith has a pretty good handle on defensively as the team's also its defensive coordinator that he knows how to lock up and shut down. Wisconsin fits exactly into that kind of mold of the teams that he's able to, you know, slow down and beat. We saw it last year. He took Jonathan Taylor out of the equation and dared Cohen to beat him, and he couldn't. So then you move to the Purdue game at home. That's a coin flip. Minnesota at home, that's probably Minnesota. I just don't think Illinois has the offensive talent really yet to compete with them over 60 minutes. Rutgers on the road, Illinois dominated Rutgers the last few years. I don't anticipate that changing much, and that's even in New Jersey. Illinois has gone there and kicked their butts even when Illinois was bad. I think that still continues. I think Nebraska on the road is probably 55% Nebraska. At home against Ohio State, you're dead in the water. There's nothing going to happen there. Iowa at home, I think that's coin flip. And I think Northwestern on the road is a coin flip with a slight edge Northwestern. But this team is a lot more talented than most people probably realize. And Brandon Peters is a senior quarterback who doesn't have the highest of ceilings. And honestly, at times, he drives me crazy with the way he holds the ball out and holds on to it too long when he's running. But he is a solid quarterback. And I think if you're looking at a lot of the quarterbacks in the Big Ten, 
he might be one of the, you know, top half of the conference QBs in the Big Ten. And I think that gives them an advantage. And I think Isaiah Williams, who is a highly rated recruit out of high school, who kind of got his feet wet a little bit last year. I think he's going to be they're going to find ways to use him in the offense that are a lot more comfortable. I think the offensive line, you know, some of the secret sauce that maybe most people aren't paying attention to is Illinois had a really good offensive line the last couple of years. And they've they've still got a lot of key players back there. I think defensively, Marquez Beeson is huge. I think they lose a couple key guys at linebacker, but I think Milo Eifler is a guy, another transfer who came in from Washington, a formerly highly rated recruit, had a very big season for Illinois last year. I'm expecting a big season from him. I think like all conference potential. I think the secondary, you add Beeson to it, who is like Barton, you said, the coaches ever since that kid has shown up on campus have had nothing but wonderful things to say. And not just like the typical coaching pablum stuff. Like they're all like, no, this dude is a, difference maker and I think we're going to see him have that kind of impact on their defense and allow Lovey Smith to do more of the things that he wants to do because they kind of have a shutdown corner now that's the way that they talk about him they feel that Marquez Beeson can just take away a side of the field from the opposing offense so I look at this team and I'm not sitting here saying it's going six and two seven and one and winning the west but this team's getting to four and four it's too much. There's too much talent on it. And I think they've got more experience and it's not a young team anymore. All those kids that were freshmen a few years ago who would play great in the first half and then get steamrolled by better teams in the second half. They're growing up. They've spent the last four years in that weight program and they are now big and strong and they're ready to compete on a big 10 level at every part of the field. So I think that, yeah, this Illinois team's going four and four at a minimum. There you have it. How many four. kids are going to win this fall? Four, according to Tom Fernell. Hey, <laughs> love it. Go fight in a lion eye. You can follow him on Twitter at Barton Simmons. You can follow him at Tom Fernell. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. We'll be back on Wednesday tomorrow to do the Big Ten East. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.